and this is a, another Napoleon Hill quote, but what the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. And if you have true self-belief that you can accomplish whatever goal it is that you have in mind, and you're passionate about that particular goal, you have to legitimately believe it. It will happen. The world will work in your favor to make it happen. I'm excited to welcome into the show, Adam Tank, Chief Customer Officer of Transcend Software. How are we doing, man? Hey, Maddie, how are you? Doing good. I don't know if we're going to spend any time talking about software and tech today. Maybe we will, because <laughs> there's probably some gold and some wisdom that I know you can share on, on that world of tech startups and what you have been doing. But I know we share a lot of uh, you know similarities in terms of where we're at in our life's journey, our business journeys, our investing and kind of worldviews and philosophies. So I'm excited to share... Uh, you know, some airtime with you on that today. But for those that don't know who Adam Tank is, you know, what what do you tell people when they're like, hey, who are you? What do you do, man? So one of one of the thing I one of the things I've heard about me, which I'm not a huge fan of, truth be told, but I think it sort of positions me in the right light, is that I've been called the Steve Jobs of water. Steve Jobs the of Steve water. Steve Jobs of water. And I like like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that about myself, but as far as my interest in technology. And then in specific, the water industry, that's definitely where I've spent most of my time in my career. So I've had a couple early stage startups, both venture backed, one exit to a public company. The other one I'm working on now, we've raised north of 15 million. We're now at 60 some people having grown from 12, three years ago, global business. And I love solving problems that everyone in the world can relate to. And water is one of those things. So most of the time, most of my day is spent in water. Um, from a business point of view, yeah, that's that's the big stuff. I was going to say, yeah, give a little kind of context to your world because I think that's a very one, you know, core, fundamental, foundationally needed, you know, resource sure. for human beings in general. Um, how did you fall into that space? And obviously, you know, your reputation is what people say about you. So yeah, people feel point. that you're a leader and you're obviously someone of uh, of stature and prominence in that world. How did that all come to be? It was totally happenstance. I started working for big companies right out of college. The typical Fortune 500, get a paycheck every two weeks. The comfort of this overlord that's going to take care of you. That was what my parents drilled into me from the day I was born. I come from a long line of government workers, teachers, public workers. And the whole mantra was, it's take the safe route, take the safe bet. And so when I graduated from school, I was trying to decide between medical school or getting a full-time job. And I ended up going the full-time job route, working for a Fortune 500. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Always felt more drawn to marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, always had different side hustles, all that kind of stuff. But I'd never been taught that that was a real possibility for me. Right. So after working for a couple of Fortune 500s, including General Electric, I worked in their water division after grad school. And stumbled into the water industry and haven't ever looked back. I I find it tremendously fulfilling work. Every day I get up and I feel like I'm doing something good for the world. Everyone needs clean water. Everyone needs dirty water taken away from their home. And it is, it's not only tremendously difficult to solve those engineering problems, but it's also so much fun to try to wrap your mind around everything going on. And it's, it involves technology. It involves data. It involves people. It involves dirty jobs it involves all these things that you don't ever think about because 
right? We turn on our taps and water comes out. Yeah. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. So, so real quick, just for clarity purposes, what specifically are you guys doing? What problem are you guys solving? It's super niche. So if anyone listening to this is, is, in, is any, in any way familiar, I'll be really excited. About it. <laughs> okay. And I hope that they reach out because I'd love to talk to them about it. When you flush your toilet or take a shower or water your car, well, sorry, wash your car, that water all goes somewhere. Yep. And it either goes to the environment or it goes to a wastewater treatment plant. And I don't know if you've ever been to one, Maddie, but they're pretty nasty, a wastewater treatment plant. I have okay. not. Okay. All right. So you might imagine tons of big concrete tanks. It smells terrible. Yep. It's typically miles and miles outside of a city. And to build one of these things takes five, six years on average and millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And the problem that we're solving is that when you build one of these nasty, concrete, smelly pieces of infrastructure, it doesn't have to be that way. They can actually be relatively clean. They can be odor-free. They can be operated efficiently and effectively. They can be built with a small footprint. But if engineers and the people responsible for building these don't ever assess innovative options when they design them, then this stuff never gets built. The infrastructure of the future never gets built. So what we do is we help engineers do the assessment early on by automating the preliminary engineering of all of this work. So literally with a click of a couple buttons, you'll get a full set of engineering grade documents to show you, hey, this is what a wastewater treatment plant could look like given a range of different factors. And here's why you should consider something more innovative as opposed to what we've been building for decades upon decades upon decades. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions and of course larger deals and paydays all around we call this deep sales and linkedin has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of linkedin sales navigator right now our millionaire mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try linkedin sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast that's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Wow, I love that. So you guys are really a, a, a key consultant in kind of the development process, it sounds like, for the innovation of how water treatment is being tackled in counties and cities and, you know, states all around the country. Is is that accurate? Yeah, you're spot on. Very cool. And so in that world, 
you know, what do you see as some of the, and I know we're going to dig into a bunch of other stuff here today, but I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued because, okay. you know, we're in California and California's got major drought issues all the time, right? Yep. You, you hear about other, you know, cities and states around the country that have water issues. Like what is the, over, how dire is the water um, space and kind of industry as a whole in the U.S.? Is it, it as bad as they make it out to be? Is it man. more maybe optimistic or what are you? It's a really good question. So it is a big problem. Freshwater scarcity is a big problem, especially in the West. So if you haven't already started to get cutbacks yep, and maybe even higher taxes on it, um, a lot of the agricultural, the water that was going to ag, some of those farms are being ripped out so that you have water in your home. California, it's a big challenge. But I had a phenomenal professor once tell me, you know, we didn't in, in the 70s, there was this idea of peak oil. We're going to run out of oil. Obviously, that never happened. Mm -hmm. Back in, you know, back in medieval days, there was the Bronze Age or the Iron Age. And someone said, oh, we're going to eventually run out of bronze or run out of iron. And that hasn't happened either. And the reason was is because technology has helped bridge the gap. Mm -hmm. So we use technology to find new sources of oil. We use new technology to do other types of metals. The same thing holds true for water. The technologies that can secure our water crisis are already here. They're just not being assessed early enough in these projects. So if you can bring innovation and automation into the front end of the project to say, hey, in California, this is a good example. There's something called reuse, water reuse. So coming out of a treatment plant, that water can be treated to a high enough quality that you could drink it in your home. Wow. Sounds a little weird. But it happens in many other places around the world. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that that technology oftentimes isn't even assessed early on. So, yes, there's a big problem, but the problem can be solved. It just takes entrepreneurial leaders, innovators, folks like what we're doing at Transcend to help this industry sort of innovate and come along and not be stuck 20, 30, 40 years in the past. So what does a, a day at Transcend look like for you with all your energy? I mean, you got the great attire, man. I was going to say the shirt is on point today. <laughs> I like the colors. Um, you. you know, what is what is a, a day in the life for you, Adam Tank, look like in kind of your your core, you know, entrepreneurial environment that you're playing? Sure, in? sure. So I'm I you I'm sure you of all people can probably relate as an early stage ish entrepreneur. No two days are the same. Nope. No two days are the same. And that's what I love about this. I love playing that part because, you know, one day, one day, a typical day might be, I'm talking to the board of directors, I'm talking to investors, I'm talking to customers, I'm managing the team. The next day, it could be firefighting on bugs that we found in our code the night before. It could be setting the product roadmap. It could be setting the budgets for next year. I mean, there's, it's so many different things. So for me, I would say 50 plus percent is spent directly talking to the team. We're fully remote. So 65 of us now. Wow. Fully remote. Uh, and actually about half in the US or North America and half in Budapest, Hungary. So helping bridge the gap between not only, you know, a remote cult, remote company culture, but literal cultures. Yeah. North American culture versus an Eastern European culture. And then the other 50% is typically spent in, in either selling B2B consultative software sales or with existing customers. It's amazing. And what's yeah. kind of the big grand vision for what you guys are doing over at uh, Transcend? Sure. So we're starting in water. We're entering power here in the near future. 
And the goal is that we expand to be able to design and engineer automatically what we're calling critical infrastructure. So if you imagine building a city from the ground up, yep, your water, your power, your streets, your buildings, if all of that could be designed at a conceptual level using our software, not only is it going to save you and me as taxpayers a ton of funding, but it's going to accelerate these development life cycles so that these, these projects can get, can get done a lot faster. And it would apply to your world too in real estate. Yep. So if the engineers and architects could crank out these designs a lot faster early on, and you could work through these concepts and figure out what ultimately needs to be delivered, shrinking that window from, I don't know, let's say six months of designer views down to one or less, you're going to save a ton of time and cost. Yeah. And you're going to be able to invest a lot more capital in those projects and place your bets, you know, probably a little with a little less risk or at least a little better managed risk early on. Right, right. So let's back up real quick and talk about kind of how you you got on this path, right? Like water obviously kind of became your your sandbox that you're playing in and yep. something that you became very passionate about. But like, where was the inflection point for you early on that led to, you know, wanting to reshape the kind of ideology that you had had ingrained in you for so long to, you know, pursue in a different path? Yeah. So I, I'll answer, and then I want you to answer the same question because I'm sure. super curious based on what I've been been uh, been listening to you talk about. For me, the real what I call a point of departure, and I'll I'll define that really quickly because I think it's important for people to understand context. The point of departure is if you think about your past, there's a there are oftentimes points in time that you can point to that's then you say my life changed drastically. With this single event, it's the single event, a single moment in time. It could be when you met your spouse, maybe having your first child, your first job, the first time you got fired, the first time you had a car wreck, whatever it might be. Yeah. You have these points of departure and you can have multiple of them. When I was, I was a junior in college, so I was 20 years old. And one of my friends issued the book Think and Grow Rich to me by Napoleon Hill. and it opened my eyes to this world of entrepreneurship, self-belief, placing bets on your own capabilities, basically taking the world on instead of letting the world take you on. And it was the first time I read this and I thought, oh my God, I've, I've felt this way for so long, but I've never had anyone to talk to about it. I've never heard somebody reflect it in a way that I felt Napoleon when he, when he wrote this was right, reflected to me. Right. And so that was the moment in time where I had a point of departure. And I said, my life is changing for the better. And it has, because I believe that business is the way to create freedom for myself and to be able to tackle opportunities and challenges that I want to tackle rather than the ones that come at me. And so that, that was the very first point of departure. I remember where I go, Oh my God, my life totally just changed because it opened my eyes to a whole new way of thinking that I had never been exposed to before. Yeah. Once you, once you like have that aha moment, there's no going back, right? It's, no, it's done. <laughs> and, and then it's, it's kind of an overwhelming sense of optimism and, and, you know, excitement and this energy that oftentimes I see people like miss, um, misapply it, I think, right. Of like, they get super excited and then, uh, they kind of mistake movement for achievement. They don't really get the traction that they're hoping for. And when mm-hmm. that motivation and excitement and energy kind of starts to cool down a little bit, 
and the reality and the challenge and, you know, this path that is less traveled for so many people becomes much more real, they often kind of default back to mediocrity. What was it that allowed you at that point in time in your journey? And I'll answer mine as well. Okay. All right. Um, I'm not going to let you off the hook. uh, Yeah. I was going to say, you don't have to (laughs) let me off the hook, but I'm I'm always down to share. But I think, you know, that importance of it's one thing to have the, you know, aha moment. And it's a whole nother thing to follow it up with, you know, a plan of action and and discipline that requires you to kind of take it to that next level. What did that look like for you? Oh, I, it, and I think it was, uh, call it luck. Could have been luck. The timing of luck on my journey too. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, timing, timing plays is such a big factor that hardly anyone talks about, right? Like timing is such a big, obviously you have to work to make timing work in your favor. And that's where luck really happens is when you're busting your ass and then timing hits and you're like, okay, (laughs) this is, this is what, this is what I was here to do. This is, this is working for me. So I mentioned I was a junior when I read this book, I was studying microbiology in college. So think about your typical, like white lab coat, right? Like super nerdy and I still am and I'm proud of it. So I'm not, I'm not saying like that's all in the past, but I was a microbiology student and I basically had three options afforded to me when I graduated. All my professors said, you're either going to go to medical school, you're going to go to graduate school, or you're going to go find a job as like a lab tech right, or something super sciencey. Mm-hmm. There was never this concept that, hey, there's this whole world of business that's out there, private business, who could use the skill sets that you're developing in school. That was never an option. Never. And especially it wasn't an option to talk about entrepreneurial business and small business. So junior year, read Think and Grow Rich. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I get, as you said, tons of energy, feeling really good about it, but have to put it into action. In my senior year, our university held an entrepreneurship competition through the College of Business. I'd never, I didn't even know we had a College of Business at that point. I didn't, business was just a foreign word. Like, yeah, I guess people sell stuff. I don't know how that works. One of my fraternity brothers, funnily enough, was a, was a he was like a, a part-time manager at a Papa John's, I think. He's a big time stoner. <laughs> so he's working at this Papa John's. And think about when you go into a restaurant, it's a fast casual restaurant, like a Chipotle is a good example of this. You know, yep. all the ingredients sit next to each other in bins. Yep. The same is true in a, in a pizza place. So whatever, Domino's, Papa John's, pizza, whatever. You have your sauce and your cheese and your meats and your whatevers, and they all sit in these bins next to each other. And the problem is when you're making these pizzas, all these ingredients get mixed up in each other's bins. And it causes more problems than you think. It sounds kind of like stupid and sophomoric, but it's a problem if somebody is allergic to dairy and they get cheese on their pizza. Sure. Yeah. Or someone's a vegetarian and they get meat, right? And it's against their, let's say like, um, you know, part of their religious code, if you will, and they're calling corporate. You have to issue refunds. It might be a health issue. I mean, it's a big deal. So my buddy working in the Papa John says, well, I'm going to create these dividers effectively that sit in between these bins. So when we're making pizza, the ingredients don't get mixed up. Super simple idea. The problem was he was the visionary with a product, but he didn't know how to sell and present. But he knew that I could at least present. I didn't know what selling was. Again, I was a microbiologist, but I could present. So he said, here's what I want to do. We're going to enter this competition. I'll write the entire business plan. I'll prototype the product. I'll get it in front of the customers. I just need you to present our business, the plan, 
and sell it to these judges so that we can win. I was like, all right, sure. What do I have to lose? So we entered this entrepreneurship competition. I ended up winning. So second semester, senior year, my final semester, I win this entrepreneurship competition. And I'm like, oh my God, there's this world of business I haven't ever thought about. And here I am winning this competition. I think it was like a 10 grand check or five grand check, 10 grand check. I don't know what it was right at the time. And I was like, this is more money than I've made working right? my <laughs> crappy campus job. Like it, it's like reality hit me in the face. So between Think You Grow Rich and that entrepreneurship competition, that's when things really started to crystallize, right? That that excitement and then that action in a real win. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't. This is this just too much. Like so much was bottled up and it was like starting to release and it felt so good. I love that. Those there, I you said something earlier that to me, you know, kind of struck a chord, which is, I feel like I've had so many of those inflection points, right? Of like that famous quote of you, you never, you know, step foot in the same river at the same spot because the river is mm. never the same, nor yep. is the, the person standing in it, right? And when I go back to like my first kind of, at least in entrepreneurship, it was my mom started dragging me to personal development and specifically real estate investing seminars when I was like 11, 12. And I remember, why? Why? I, do you remember why? Uh, what, she, she wanted to break free of corporate America. She hated okay. her job. And uh, both my parents were, you know, corporate America, All right. you know, their entire careers. And it always kind of said, Hey, like there's something out there different than the path that we've chosen. So sure. a little bit different for me early on, it was like, Hey, maybe you should look at being an entrepreneur. Okay. Maybe you shouldn't follow this path. Okay. And I remember my mom took me uh, to Orlando and, you know, it was one of those real estate seminars where, I don't know, there's three, 4,000 people there, yep. big yep. seminar, you know, every speaker is selling you to run to the back of the room and swipe the credit card, sure, and, you sure. know, sign up for the 10, 20, $30,000, <laughs> yeah. you know, coaching program. But I remember seeing, um, I want to say this, this kid was maybe 15 years old and he was up there giving a presentation on one of his very first real estate investment flips. And 15? he was, 15 years old, and he had made a multiple six-figure profit off of this house that he had flipped. And he was obviously one of, you know, that coaching program's best success stories. Of course, yep. But to me, it was one of those moments, right, where it really affirmed, one, I was inspired. Two, hmm. secretly, I was a little envious because I was like, this dude is not that sharp. Like, why sure. can I not be the guy up there doing that? I mean, and, at a, you, so wait, at 11, at 11, you felt that way. Yeah. Yeah. Deep down inside. I mean, mind That's you, the, the money was cool and that was inspiring and exciting. But I also think it was just the ability to be seen as successful. And to me okay. at that time, that was important. You know, acknowledgement, I think validation huh. was important to me at that time. And those could be much deeper, you know, rooted issues that, <laughs> sure. you know, I've been working through over the years. But it was one of those moments where it was like, that this is totally possible for me. Hmm. And, you know, I think that was where kind of the first spark of entrepreneurship was lit. Um, but it had laid dormant for some time. I was, you know, into sports and, you know, um, the the next one that really came was when I was in college and I'd gotten arrested and I was actually facing some jail time. Hmm. And I remember getting a second chance 
and like dropping to my knees and just saying like, thank you. I will not waste this opportunity at a, at a second chance. And so that was really what like kind of reignited this passion and drive behind not just trying to be successful and find a path in entrepreneurship professionally, but more so of how do I become a better display publicly of what mm. I tell myself privately, who mm. I am and what mm. I stand for and mm-hmm. what I want to become and making mm-hmm. sure that my video and like the actions of how my life was playing out were actually aligned with the audio and what I was telling myself and other people. And it was that fear and that pain of legitimately screwing up my entire life to the pleasure and the gift of getting a second chance that I wasn't going to waste it. And so, you know, I was 19 at that time. So it was one of those times where it was like, okay, you're a big boy now. Like, okay. you don't really have a whole lot of room to fuck up now. Sure. Like, sure. And so it was that harsh reality of like life, the world, you know, like it will, it will be the bully if it needs to and, you know, beat you up and take your lunch money and steal your backpack. And like the world is, you know, is hard. And so that was yeah. like my real kind of first, I think, moment of the margin of error that you have now is is very little and the margin of error and also i think what comes what it reminds me of is like you know they always joke around in in football right of like it, the game of winning and losing is literally a difference of inches and sometimes millimeters and when i think about the people who have unlocked great success, not just, you know, financially, but great success as an amazing husband or an amazing father, a great leader or a great communicator. Oftentimes, they understand how important those extra inches are when it goes to your daily disciplines, your daily habits, who you surround yourself. It's just sometimes like very, very so small. Some people can't even pinpoint it degrees of separation that, um, you know, I look at my life from what people see today versus what it could have been if those degrees and inches weren't shifted in the right direction Mm -hmm. by me taking ownership of Mm -hmm. my life, um, it could look a lot different. And so that's why I've, you know, done the podcast for six plus years. It's why I've coached and mentored and done a lot of the things that um, I do out of pure passion is because I know that for some people, it's just degrees of change in their life that could completely put them on a whole new path to unlocking not only selfishly for themselves, what deep down, I think we all as humans desire, you know, but at the same time, the ripple effect that they can have on other people on their journey as well. And so those are some of the inflection points to me, some have been birthed out of, you know, pure pleasure, and, Mm -hmm. you know, happiness and freedom and all kinds of other stuff. And some of them have birthed out of like the darkest, deepest pains that I've ever experienced as a human. And so Those, as we were talking earlier, I think are, you know, critical parts of everybody has that on their journey. I don't know if everybody has the awareness to extract the value and the lessons without being jaded and using those moments of, you know, stepping stones to something new and better for themselves versus allowing it to hinder them and become a part of their story in a negative way for many parts of their life, which is ultimately, unfortunately, what I see for a lot of people. And so 
I, I love that you asked that question because, you know, we all have the, we all have experiences that shape our worldview, mm-hmm. which then shape how we participate in that world, which right. then shape what results we get in that world and kind of reaffirm all of that. And it becomes this cycle. And so if you're somebody that is not maybe happy or, or, you know, fulfilled or satisfied with where you're at, oftentimes it, I would, I would maybe love to get your thoughts on this of, you know, look at what is the story you're telling yourself and maybe how you would invite somebody to look at shaping their worldview and making, you know, a completely new paradigm that can unlock all of the things of wealth and happiness and success they want for themselves, but it's got to start somewhere. Where would you suggest that they start? Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. This is a really good question. I am a, I am a firm believer that, and this is a, another Napoleon Hill quote, but what the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. And if you have true self-belief that you can accomplish whatever goal it is that you have in mind, and you're passionate about that particular goal, you have to legitimately believe it, it will happen. The world will work in your favor to make it happen. You can't get broken down by the world, the system, et cetera. Any, you know, any teenager can get arrested and can break them. Yep. That's the point of departure. Either you, Maddie, say, I got to get my shit together or I'm going down a bad path. Other people don't have that same, we'll say, uh, viewpoint. So they often end up in a different spot. And it's interesting that different spot, when I was living in California in San Francisco, this is actually an organization you might be interested in volunteering with. It's called Defy Ventures. Mm. So they work in prisons. And we go in and we teach entrepreneurial skills to currently and formerly incarcerated persons. Nice. Phenomenal organization. And I spent, so I went to a couple of different prisons in California. And, you know, the thing I learned that I think is very relevant to this conversation is that the folks that ended up in prison, they're not, they're, 
typically, right? I'd say 99% of the time, they're not actually bad people. They made bad choices. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they're a bad person. And I think so many times they can't divorce themselves of those things. They believe that their choices and their actions are who they are at their core. And they're one in the same, but they're not. They're not the same thing. You can choose to take a different path. You can choose to take a different action. You have this other persona is who you are. And a lot of times someone will ask themselves, and this is a really curious thing to ask yourself. What was I thinking? What was I thinking when I did that? Well, who is I in this? Who who is I? Step outside yourself for a second and look at you. Who is who is I? What was I thinking? Who is I? When you, as you mentioned, when you, when that I, when your core, when who you are aligns with the actions that you're taking, that's when the magic happens. So long would an answer to your question, true belief in yourself, take real action, quit telling yourself lies, take real action toward that outcome that you see for yourself and let the world work for you rather than against you. You'll be shocked at what happens when you, you put that, that motion, that action right? That plan and action, good things start coming your way. Yeah. For me was the, the second I, uh, man, I think it was the second I like took extreme ownership for just like making shitty choices. Like I knew I'm like, I, and that's where I think a lot of people feel a rub and feel friction and feel misalignment in their life. It's because they're, they know who they are and want to be at their core, but or choices, whether that's your environment that you're in, whether that's an addiction to mm -hmm. drugs or alcohol or mm -hmm. whatever it may be, is, you know, infecting what choices you're making, whether that's, you know, being around the wrong people and it's poor influences in your life, which ultimately I had a lot of those early on when I was making <laughs> poor choices. I felt like, man, like there was just something missing. And really it was just like, take ownership an extreme accountability for making shitty choices and being a shitty person. Like, sure. that doesn't mean you are a shitty person, but you're acting like one. Yes. So for yes. me, it was like kind of being vulnerable with myself and that extreme accountability of like, this is not who I want to be. This is what I'm doing. This is just facts and reality of my situation. And the beauty was I knew that by making those choices and getting those results, I could also make other choices and get different results. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. it still felt empowering to me, but it was off. It started with making a shift in the environment, the influences that I was around, the people that I was participating, you know, in life with. And that was tough. But at the same time, as I shifted a lot of those things slowly over time, my worldviews and my actions and my network and my opportunities and my income and all of those things started to shift as well. So I think, you know, it's, it's a good reminder for people to really sit back. And I do this with myself still like, man, I'm really not liking some of the you know results I'm getting in this mm -hmm. particular area of my life or in my business, or why did that happen? And it's taking that extreme ownership and accountability for like, well, where's my DNA in this, 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 you know, process? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This outcome. You bet. And, you know, creating a plan and just getting into swift, you know, right. default action and to right. kind of swing that pendulum in a different direction. Yes. Action is action's the key. And it's something I'm, I'm, I have to constantly remind myself of because, I mean, even this conversation, we're talking about sort of heady topics, right? yeah. sort of lofty, philosophical. Yeah. Right. And I fall into the trap where I'll just keep thinking about stuff. 
And I'll come, we can come up with a business idea right now. And I'll tell I'll you a million different ways. Things are going to go wrong. Things could go right. This is a million dollar idea. We should do this. We should do uh-huh. that. Blah, 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 blah. None of that crap matters. Literally none of it. None of it. You just got to take action. Yep. Don't overthink it. And when you said you saw that 15 year old on stage who was killing it, made his first six figure flip. Yep. And you're like, I could do this. He's no smarter than I am. You know why those people succeed? Because they just take action. Yep. They don't overthink it. They just go for it. And one of the other things, too, I wanted to bring up was, um, have you read James Clear's book, Atomic Habits? Yeah, Habits? it's a great book. Yeah. Okay, so he he talks about envisioning yourself as the person that you want to become. So as an example, let's say I want to lose weight. I shouldn't be focused on, man, I really need to lose 10 pounds or gosh, I look so crappy in these clothes or blah, blah, blah. The list goes on, right? You need to tell yourself, I'm a gym goer. And I'm a healthy person. And what would a healthy person do? What choices would a healthy person make? If I'm a healthy person, I'm going to eat better because that's what healthy people do. I'm going to go exercise because that's what healthy people do. And before you know it, you you start to make these choices and take these actions to becoming that person you want to become and you get there. And so the, the last thing I'll leave on this, you know, this part of the conversation is one of the benefits of working at a big, at a big company was that they oftentimes use all these wild, um, like a Six Sigma lean improvement, right? All of these like fancy buzzwordy corporate lingo stuff and processes to make businesses work. But there's a lot of benefit to those. And one of them is this idea of leading versus lagging indicators of success. Mm-hmm. So Maddie, for you and I and other entrepreneurs, anyone in business, a lagging indicator of success is how much money I make. What's my income at the end of the year? If you're just focused on making a million bucks this year, that's not gonna make you a million bucks. Just like if I want to lose 20 pounds, standing on a scale and looking at it and saying, man, I need to lose 20 pounds. That's not going to get me anywhere. Yeah. What's going to help me lose 20 pounds is counting my calories, counting my steps, counting my time in the gym, counting the, the weight that I can lift. Just like in, in real estate, right? How many deals am I getting in front of? How many other investors am I meeting? Yep. How, many, how many contracts am I putting together, right? All of those are lagging indicators. So focusing on those lagging and not 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 convoluting what leading versus lagging are and making sure you're focused on what inputs actually get you to that end goal. That's another really important part that I think not a lot of people think through. So what on this topic of leading and lagging indicators, you know, I've kind of got my dashboard and, and scoreboard of, of life that I track in a lot of the activities and, and also the, the results. I'm curious what, you know, some of the key metrics are in your life, whether that's in the business or, you know, on the personal side of things, the health side of things, how are yeah. you keeping kind of your whole life, uh, you know, millionaire approach, uh, organized and kind of, you know, transparent and measurable. Sure. There, so I, I think of it in two, in two buckets, basically, well, three buckets. So one is of course, business life. So what am I doing to generate income? I have my personal life. So am I being a supportive husband to my wife and now my newborn daughter, who's a week old as of today, which is super cool. Girl dads unite everywhere. That's right. Yeah. You got to love that. And then my third one, we'll call it like this, the sort of spiritual realm, right? I wouldn't consider myself to be a religious person, but I do think it's important to, to take time to reflect and think yep. about where you're at in your life and how you want to live your life and the type of person that you are. Mm-hmm. And the way that I measure those things, the business one actually is the easiest. Because you have tangible metrics. It's easy. I agree. Simple, right? So like for me, like in a sales, so one of the things I love is B2B consultative selling. I love it. I'm super, I get super excited about it. I coach people on it. I invest in companies, right? I sit on boards to to help people out with this stuff. 
And it's simple. How many calls are you making? How many emails are you sending? How much time are you spending on the phone? How much value are you creating? How many, how many, you know, how many articles, how many listicles, how many pieces of news, et cetera, are you sending to your prospects that, that create value for them? That's a great, those are great leading indicators. That's the type of stuff that I like to track. The money will follow. Yep. If you're bringing value to people's life and you're thinking about them first and how you can solve their problems, the money's going to follow. So business is simple. So the real question is, all right, so what do you do on the personal front and what do you do on the spiritual front? So on the personal front, I make sure that my wife and I, so once a month minimum, we'll see how this goes with the, with the kid, but once a month minimum, we have something we call a mystery date. So we, we take turns. So this month will be my month. Well, December coming up here in a couple of days. And we plan a date for the other one. Don't know what each other are going to do. You just show up and get ready to have fun. And so making sure that I'm doing that consistently is one example of something that I do in my personal life to make sure that things are kosher between my wife and I. That's great. Yeah. And you got to keep that up through the baby because yeah, maybe yeah. we'll get in the way of that. Oh, but, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. We, yeah. we do something very similar. We call it our relationship recharge 30 minutes every week. We ask three questions to each other, both of us. Uh, what did I do well this week? What could I have done better? What do, I, what do you have coming up this week that I can support you in? And then obviously okay. we have our weekly date night. We have a quarterly overnight trip that we do together. And that's kind of like our rhythm that keeps us, that's awesome. you know, as, as, as life does this, right? It always keeps us coming back together and making sure that we're prioritizing our relationship, the communication that goes into our relationship. So I like that. I might uh, steal that one and add it into our... Uh, yeah our kind of monthly rhythm of uh, a mystery date. Very cool. Do it, kind do, of- it do it. Yeah, I've got a Here's another one. I'll take you down a, a not a rabbit hole, but it'll give me like two minutes. Something called the best day ever. Okay. I can't remember where I heard this originally. But if you take your wife on a mystery date, what you could do if you have a whole day to block off yep. is start by going to her favorite brunch spot, breakfast or brunch, whenever you get up, whatever that looks like. Yep. When you're done with your meal, ask the people at the table next to you what you should do next. Go and complete that activity. Do the same thing when you're done with that one. And by 8, 9, 10 p.m. at night, you've done five, six things. You've probably seen stuff in the city that you haven't been exposed to before. And you have what's called the best day ever. It's a phenomenal day, man. It's a phenomenal day. You got And it's something both of you don't have any real idea of how it's going to end up. So it (laughs) kind of creates this evolution and creativity of you guys just creating something together, which that is super cool. So I want to ask you a, a couple things before we wrap up. Sure. I have seen this on, and I've participated in this on both ends of the spectrum of the hustle, hustle, hustle until your face falls off 120 hours a week. And then, you know, the four hour work week. And I know you have (laughs) attempted the four hour work, which you have uh, publicly shared your failure with it. And I want to hear a little bit more about that, but I'm just curious on your thoughts around productivity and, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you know, or as an employee, as a dad, a, a husband, like, how do you squeeze the most out of every day? And, and maybe you can start with your attempt at the four hour work week and how sure. that, um, you know, played out and, and where you have landed now on what works best for you for, you know, being as productive as you possibly can. Yeah, amazing, amazing question. I, so when I left the, the Fortune 500, I, I was working out of school. One of the reasons I left was because I wanted to live internationally. And they wouldn't afford me that opportunity. And I wanted to live internationally and work in a small business. And I happened to find a small company based out of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, who was looking for someone that had my skill set that I had developed 
working in this company that I did outside of, out, uh, after school. And you were how old at this time? I was 22. Okay. 22. So I packed two suitcases. Well, I went down, flew down there, interviewed, got the job, didn't speak any Portuguese. It was a, it was, there's a, I, we could go on for days about <laughs> what it's like to go down to Rio as a young, single, right, American guy. But it was like, all right, I got to do this. This is my chance. I'm going to take the leap. So I packed two suitcases, went down there, didn't know a single soul and lived in Rio. And I was two blocks from the beach in a, a neighborhood called Le Boulon, which is a super nice kind of ritzy area of Rio. And every morning I'd get up at, I don't know, 6, 7 a.m. I'd hop on the bus, I'd go to work, and I wouldn't leave until the sun had already set. So I wake up and I hear the ocean every morning, but I can't go. Hop on the bus, go to work, come back. It's dark. I hear the ocean. I can't enjoy it. And I'm thinking, what the hell kind of life is this? I live in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, the most beautiful people in the world. And here I am just working, you know, mm -hmm. working my butt off and not enjoying any of it. This is ridiculous. So I had read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week uh, at some point, probably the year prior and was like, God, if I could just have an internet business and do this remotely and retire on a beach at, you know, 22, 23, I'm set. I'll just live here forever. And I'll just, I'll just drink out of coconuts the rest of my life and it'll be perfect. <laughs> So I started an affiliate marketing website with Amazon link. So Amazon has actually a really cool affiliate marketing program. You can sign up. Anyone can do it. You get specific links that refer people to Amazon products. If they buy that product or any other Amazon product while you are on amazon.com, you will get a commission for that product. And so I set up my own website, did the whole thing, learned how to code front end, back end, all that fun stuff, ran it for a couple months. And I never, I made my first commission check from Amazon. It was 67 cents, Maddie, 67 <laughs> <Dollar>? cents, <laughs> 67 cents. And I was over the moon because it was, this was like the, this was a dream, right? If I can do it for 67 cents, the next day it could be 67, then it'll be 670, then 6,700 and right snowball effect. Well, it didn't turn out that way, of course, because here we are sitting here and I'm living in the middle of the US and don't have a beach behind me. I turned on my computer one day and logged it, tried to log into my site and it was shut off. And I had found out and a failure of reading the T's and C's that I wasn't allowed to have affiliate links on my website with the host that I was using at the time. Mm. So fully profitable blog. I had spent two, three months hard coding. It was actually making money shut down overnight and I could not get it back. Nothing I could do. Um, which is kind of killer. Important lessons there, though, that we don't have time to get into. But suffice to say that that whole experience was what taught me not, not one, I've got to bet on myself because I can do this. Mm. I can have a dream, I can have a vision, I can have a product that I want to build or sell. And I can make money doing it by myself. By myself, I can do that. So that's the first thing. The second one was the importance of paying attention to the details, as you talked about earlier, those millimeters make yeah. all the difference. I should have yeah. freaking read the contract. I should have read the T's and C's. And so now what I find is that there's this balance you have to strike between the millimeters, grinding the 120 hour work week, or, you know, whatever it might be. And this idea of betting on yourself and the what what's in between those is a kick ass team. That's, that's where the rubber meets the road. So most of my time now, what I've learned is spent in recruiting, developing, and retaining 
the most world-class people I possibly can for the mm -hmm. organizations that I am a part of, whether I'm an investor, an advisor, a founder, whatever it might be, that's what, that's the people are what make it or break it. And so that has allowed me to free up my time. If I was going to Brazil, I would have found a VA to help me do this website. I would have outsourced the whole thing. And then I could have sat on the beach while it made me money. <laughs> and I would have been a lot closer to the dream. And I should have been using more of those types of resources at the time I didn't know it, but that's, that's where I'm at now. So again, that, that people part, that's where the magic happens. So as I think it's a good, good question to wrap up on is as you continue to, you know, further your journey of impact and, you know, scaling your income and, you know, unlocking more freedom and all the things that it is that you're kind of going after, you know, what is the, the message you like to leave with people that, you know, are looking to follow down that same path and maybe a few steps behind you, maybe just getting started. You know, what do you say to those people? Yeah, I'd say one bet on yourself. Trust yourself, trust that you can do it. Might seem daunting. It's going to be hellish. It's not going to be easy. But just trust yourself, follow the process, put one step in front of another. Don't second guess it. Don't listen to what other people have to say. Just trust yourself and take action. The second one is reach out to people like Maddie, you or me, whoever it might be, if someone's inspiring to you, oftentimes, we will do backflips to help people because that's yeah. who we are. I There's no reason why I wouldn't try to help someone if they're genuinely interested in trying to succeed. I just feel like we can grow the pie together, right? Regardless of how things shake out, like that's just the right thing to do. So trust yourself, reach out to people who have been there before. And I think you're going to be on the right path. Adam, it's been a pleasure connecting with you today, man. Lo love the energy, love the shirt. Thank love you. The, the Thank you. And the approach Thank on, you. Uh, on everything that you're doing. And, and I love the, the problem that you're, you know, attacking every single day to try and solve around water. And, um, you know, that whole space needing real innovation and entrepreneurship and leadership to come in and really kind of take it to that next level. And it sounds like, you know, everything you guys are doing over at Transcend is, is really, uh, making a big dent in that. So I want to acknowledge and honor uh, the people that are, you know, fighting the fights that need to get fought and uh, just love what you're up to, brother. And for those that want to know more about you, they want to follow what you got going on. They want to engage with some of your content. What's sure. the best place to do that? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. So I, you know, I don't have as much time as I would like nowadays, especially with the newborn, <laughs> but I still do continue to invest and coach early stage founders and entrepreneurs. The best way to do it is to send me an email, meet at adamtank.com. M-E-E-T at adamtank.com. And we'll set up some time to talk and see if we can't help one another out. Adam Tank, thanks for coming on the show, brother. You bet. Thanks, Maddie. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info and how you can connect with us live in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, 
I always want to know, who do you guys want to hear me interview next? Let me know. Shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friend. <laughs>